Good morning. Today we're going to start a new series of lessons. Uh, and it sounds grim and I don't mean for it to be, so please don't interpret that way. I want this to be encouraging. We're going to call it One Month to Live. Carrie Shook and his wife Chris wrote a book with the same title. I want you to think about this as being some directed lesson that those of you who've received a diagnosis and you know maybe your days are, are, are in, uh, coming to an end, those uh, folks, uh, I'm not thinking about it at all. In fact, I'm thinking about the rest of us because they already know that, you know, those who have uh, maybe a, a serious illness. But think about this. What if, what if you knew you only had a, a, about a month to live? What difference would that make in your life? See, that question forces us to think about what really matters. What do we value? Is it relationships? Is it our job? Is it our family? Is it our faith? Maybe it's some quest to go somewhere. We've always wanted to go. It's on our bucket list. And boy, we've got a limited time, so we're going to go. Or maybe write a book. Or maybe ask for forgiveness from someone what would you do if you were in your final weeks? Maybe you're thinking, I know what I'd be eating every day uh, and maybe enjoying every bite of it. Maybe you think I'd be praying every chance I get. So make sure you're right with the Lord. You know, death is the great equalizer. Unless the Lord returns, every one of us will face death. But the problem I see is that too many are not really enjoying life. They're not living a fulfilled, passionate, purposeful life. And it's not that these folks have received some shocking diagnosis or experiencing some life-altering situation that's robbed them of joy. Nothing really has happened to them. They're just suffocating from maybe too many items on their to-do list, too many places to be, too much stress, too many commitments, or maybe they're stuck in a rut. Maybe they've lost their zest or their purpose, and the result is that their life is empty. Their effervescence is gone. And that's the premise of the book. If you only have 30 days to live, how would you spend your life? Now, we're not going to study the book necessarily. There's maybe, I think, four points that they make in the book. I want to do five in our series because it's going to be a long month. I'm going to give you more time than 30 days. But I want to make these points. The first one is this. We're going to focus on living passionately. How do we have energy? How do we have zeal? How do we have passion as we go through life? Because people waste their lives with no joy, with no passion. They're just getting through the day. They're just trying to get to the weekend. Albert Einstein is quoted as saying, What is sad is when someone dies, when something dies inside of a man while he is still living. And you remember the quote from Will, uh, William Wallace? Every man dies, not every man really lives. I put this on the screen. This is a quote from Kerry Shook. He wrote, Often we're tempted to play it safe and settle for far less than we're made for. I know so many people whose favorite day of the week is someday. You've heard this before. When I retire, then I'm going to enjoy life. Someday I'm really going to live for God. Someday I'll start loving my family better. Someday when my schedule slows down, then I'm going to get involved in church. Someday... One day, when, if, then it's over. When are we going to wake up and realize someday is right now? This is nothing new. In fact, I want our theme verse to be for this series, Psalm 90, verse 12. 
Moses wrote these words. The New Living Translation says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we can grow in wisdom. You might recognize that from other versions that says, number our days. But I like the way the New Living Translation puts that. Realize the brevity of life. And each one of us faces an obstacle to keep us from doing just that. Maybe you're lazy. Maybe you just lost your passion for life and your zeal. Or maybe you feel like your life is an assembly line. You know, you've clocked in, you're just going through the motions, it's what you do, and, and you can't get out until this life is over. Or maybe you're swamped. You're just so busy. Maybe you're a workaholic. Someone says maybe the person who burns the candle at both ends may not be as bright as he thinks. So I want to challenge you for the next month to think about that. What if... What if you just had 30 days to live? How would your thinking change when it came to daily decisions? Maybe your routine. You know, we're just into February. First Sunday in February. So we're still in a new year. But but what about you and your last days? Maybe you're just now a teenager. Maybe you're a young parent just learning your way. You still have toddlers underfoot who, who don't understand Gatorade. And you're trying to understand the whole thing of how to teach them. Maybe you're up there in years, and for you, it's the final chapter. And you understand Moses' words very clearly because you know your days are numbered. This is the perfect time for all of us to reevaluate our life. I want to call your attention to a passage that Jesus shared, John 10.10. You know this verse. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some versions render that abundant life. He doesn't say a scared life. He doesn't say a fear-filled life. He doesn't say a miserable life. He doesn't say just barely hanging on kind of life. He uses the word a full life. I think what he means with that is a, a purpose and a passion. We know our time on earth is limited. Paul reminded us, Ephesians 5, 16, 15 and 16, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity Because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. That's really the point of this, isn't it? If I had one month to live, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. So in a way, we're really not going to learn anything new. But if it makes our life count, it could really change our lives. So I want to, this morning, share three steps that will help us to live passionately. And the first one is this. Choose a passion that will last into eternity. Choose a passion that will last into eternity. God has shaped each of us in a unique way. You have your own spiritual gifts, your own physical talents, your abilities, your personalities, your life experiences, and all those make you, you. But each of us has a specific passion for something. It's what makes you come alive. It's what makes your heart beat faster. It's when you get caught up in it, you're just that. You're caught up in it. It doesn't wear you down. In fact, it gives you energy. Passion propels people. It's closely related to enthusiasm. And we understand enthusiasm at its core. The word means God within us. That's passion. That's enthusiasm. In other words, God's wired us to do His work to find a passion that really floats our boat. And that's what helps us to stay alive. Jesus showed this from early age throughout his life. Remember at age 12 when he got lost, he wasn't really lost at all. In fact, when he was found, he was explaining himself in Luke 2, 49. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? 
The parents are the one who didn't quite get it. Jesus understood why he was there from this moment and shared that he was communicating, living within the will of the Father. That's what he wanted to do. And throughout his ministry, he never lost it. Even when he set his heart, set his sight on Jerusalem. Remember, there he is in the garden. He's praying in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but yours be done. Even to the end of his life on earth, his will was to do the Father's will. His passion was to do what God sent him to do. Now, there's a lesson for that in us. We need to make certain that our passion is God-honoring. Because when you choose to make that your passion, whatever consumes you, whatever you get lost in, whatever it is that gives you energy, then those around you are going to identify you with that. That's your passion because you can't stop talking about it. You can't stop doing it. And so they're going to make observations about you. You know, you never see him without a drink in his hand or maybe a cigarette in his mouth. They may say he always lives on his cell phone or he's always fixing things or she's always helping people. Because they see that's your passion. So choose a passion that will last into eternity. Do you remember a guy named Bubba Smith? Here's his picture. Does that help you a little bit? He retired from professional football a number of years ago. And after football, he made some commercials for a, a beer company. And it kind of took off. Do you remember the phrase, tastes great, less spilling? I know we're in church. You probably think I shouldn't admit that I know that. Of course you know that. You've heard that. That's, that's him. And he's the one in those commercials. I went back and found one on YouTube and he rips off the top of the can. It was back in the 70s. And he said, easy opening can. It called on. It was a marketing success. And he made a lot of money making those commercials. Well, one day he was back at his alma mater, Michigan State. He was the grand marshal for the parade. And so he's in the limousine at the very front. And so as he's going through the parade, the crowd is shouting at him. But it's not calling his name. And it's not anything about Michigan State. Do you know what they were saying? One side of the crowd was saying, taste great. And the other side was saying, less filling. And so for Bubba, it was a wake-up call. He said, because here's the strange thing about the story. He didn't drink beer. And he didn't want to be known for that. So when it came time to renew the contract, he said, no way. He said, there was this still, small voice in his mind that kept saying, stop. Stop. It's just never too late to change your passion. Even if the whole world identifies you with that, you can change, you can stop. And we all know that some passions are more noble than others, but any passion other than Christ will come up short. In fact, it can become idolatry. William James is quoted at the University of Lewis, uh, Louisville campus with this saying, the greatest use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. Let me read that again. The greatest use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. I think he's right. You choose your passion that stretches beyond this life. If you've been with this church for a while, you know we have a, a rich history. Men and women of faith who have brought us to this point, uh, who have kept the faith and who have, have given sacrificially through the years even relocating from High Street to this location in 1925. It was huge. It was a big deal. It was a lot of money. And, and they did that. 
I was thinking about this Monday night, how encouraged I was that we've got our gymnasium, our family center out back that was so big and it was packed full and we used it in a great way to serve our community. And I'm excited about what we're doing with our facility as we're expanding and re, uh, retooling for our teenagers and our children. But folks, those things don't happen by accident. Those things don't happen without some sacrificial giving. You've been a part of that. You know that even as we're funding this for our children, our elders went first in deciding how much they would give and then shared that with us to challenge us. That's been a part of West 7th. I want to read a quote from an elder in a church. Not here, but it's the same spirit here. He said this to his fellow elders who were discussing funding a big project. He said this, Men, I know this is going to require the sacrifice of our own resources, but 50 years from now, every man in this room will be dead. What's going to be important then is not what we've kept, but what we give away. That's living passionately. That's walking in the Father's will. That's making every day count. So number two, pursue your passion wholeheartedly. Pursue your passion wholeheartedly. Look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, each of us, in our differences, we have different desires and hobbies and interests and, and, and pursuits. And a lot of them receive a lot of our attention. But something is going to receive the most. And that passion will bypass all the others. But instead of maybe trying to take this whole concept of passion and, and dissecting it like it's a laboratory specimen. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Maybe you remember the name Eric Liddell. Scottish Olympic medalist. To me, he's a compelling picture of passion. He was immortalized by the 1981 Chariots of Fire film. Do you remember that one? He was born in 1902 to missionary parents in China. While his father, mother, and sister were doing the Lord's work in China, he and his brother were in boarding school in England. And then the University of Edinburgh, it's while he was at the university that his athletic abilities caught the attention of some of the others. Apparently, his parents also encouraged him with his um, running. In the movie, Eric, his father, and his brother are discussing the topic during the parents' furlough back to their country. The dad says this, Eric... You can praise the Lord by peeling spud if you peel it to perfection. Don't compromise. Compromise is the language of the devil. Run in God's name and let the world stand back and wonder. If you've seen the movie, if you remember, you know the story, Chariots of Fire. Helps us to see that dramatic story as he rises to prominence. He's called the Flying Scot. He gets that victory in 1924 in Paris. He wins both a gold and a bronze. Eric was deeply passionate about running. But he had another passion as well. It wasn't just about running. In fact, he said this in one movie in the scene, one scene in the movie, if you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that's how you run a straight race. After the Olympics, do you know the rest of the story? He went back to China, serving the Lord 
until an early death because of an illness at age 43. His sister thought that his success in athletics might keep him from serving the Lord as he should. And he told her this, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China, but He also made me fast. When I run, I feel His pleasure. It's not just for fun. It's to honor Him. See, passion propels people. We see it all the time. His passion was the Lord. Running was just His vehicle to share that passion. Paul understood this. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So when you got one month to live, you're not thinking about gold medals or bronze medals or any kind of medals. They pale in comparison. So choose a passion that will last into eternity. And choose one that you can pursue wholeheartedly. You know, the Bible is filled, especially the Old Testament, with amazing stories of heroism and, and, and impassionate living. But to me, one of the best are the stories of David's mighty men. You remember? There were 30 of them, but three in particular that, that stood out to me. There was one, Adino the Esnite, who killed 800 men in one battle. 800 in one battle. And then there's Shema who stationed himself in the middle of the field and when all of his comrades left, he killed everyone who came at him. Totally defeated them. And then there's Eleazar, the son of Dodo. For obvious reasons, he became a tough guy. If you're the son of Dodo, you know, you're, you're going to have some passion. Actually, some versions has Dodo with an eye on the end. But the Bible tells us that one time, Eleazar fought so long... He couldn't get his hand off his sword. It was stuck. His muscles had frozen around the sword. These were the loyal warriors of King David. In 2 Samuel 23, David is in conflict with the Philistines. It's not a good time. He's in hiding. He remembers a cave from his youth. And so he's hiding out there. And it's a, it's a dark time in a way because the Philistines are taking over. They've, they've taken over uh, Bethlehem. And so there they are in the city of David, his hometown. He can't even go in. And so there he is in the cave. And, and, and look what it says there in 2 Samuel 23, verse 15. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well that's near the gate of Bethlehem. I don't know exactly how that happened, but I can imagine that being almost under his breath. But enough for those men to hear. If that close to hometown, you know, you can't help but think about your home. Every time I go back to Decatur, we always get barbecue. Quits or Bob Gibson's. What would it maybe for you when you think about home? Maybe it's your grandmother's sweet tea. When you think about hometown, you think about a food or maybe a drink, and you just you long for that. Maybe here's David; he's thirsty, and he's so close, and he's dreaming about. You, you ever have flashbacks? Maybe to drinking out of a well, or maybe your grandparents and that the, the, uh, that cold, cold water. Think, oh man, nothing tastes as good. That's the way I see this happening here. He's so close, and these three hear him. And I can just see it going on. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And they're gone. They don't ask for permission. They are gone. And besides that, it's just a 12-mile hike. 
And not just that, but it's right in the middle of enemy territory to a city that's already inhabited by the enemy. So this is a pretty major undertaking that these three men do, but they do it for their king and they go and they get the water and they bring it back to David. And they wanted to be so pleased at what they had done for him. The special delivery to their king. This water that he wanted from his own hometown. That nothing would taste better. David quickly realizes their passion, their loyalty. Yes, he asked for it, but it wasn't a command. You get the idea from the context there. He's just kind of just thinking out loud. So David takes the cup and he pours it out on the ground. It says before the Lord, look at verse 17. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. That last part there could, could read, such were the exploits of the three mighty men who pursued their passion wholeheartedly. They didn't have to be asked. They didn't have to be told. They didn't have to be commanded. It was a whim. It was a thought. It was a dream. Wouldn't it be nice? Consider it done. And they gave their life to it. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. He lived his life with passion even before he met Jesus. He'd always served God with passion. But after Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, you remember that story? He became just as passionate about Jesus, his newfound faith. And he wrote this in Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. What is that? What is spiritual fervor? I want us to talk about that in our study groups tonight. It's not worldly excitement. It literally can be translated zeal or diligence or purpose. Maybe the word passion would go there. So we are willing to take all kinds of risks and sacrifices for our earthly passions. People will risk thousands of dollars for an investment opportunity. They'll spend hundreds to go to a sports game or a traveling team. I've watched people who are married roll the dice on their marriage by flirting with someone at work. We'll pay big bucks for all kinds of things. For earthly pursuits. But what if we truly lived passionately and took spiritual risks? And made spiritual sacrifices to live in the day, to seize the moment. Is that not what Paul understood and wants us to understand? And why he wrote Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, his passion is fulfilled. He's a winner in either situation. One more step, very quickly. Share your passion with others. Share your passion with others. Maybe that should be understood. Maybe it goes without saying, but I think we need to say it. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because we've spent a lot of time talking about that the whole last month and talking about names. But a passion doesn't do a whole lot if you keep it to yourself. When it flourishes is when it just spills out. Even if you're not talking about it, the people around you know you're passionate about it. You can't keep it to yourself. So a couple of questions. How is it for you? What is your passion? 
Are you bold? Are you more concerned about what people think? Are you so caught up in the here and now that you've lost perspective of the eternal? My point is this, if you have one month to live, you're not going to sweat the small stuff. You're going to be mindful. You're going to know where you're going. And you're going to have that, that, that thought from that song in your mind, soon and very soon we're going to see the King. And you're living that way. Rich went to a Christian university. But it took him a while. In fact, in his seventh year of college, seventh year of college, he had accumulated enough credit hours to be a junior. Obviously, academics was not a strong suit. But music was. He had incredible music ability. And he loved the Lord. He loved people. In fact, when he was in school, um, didn't have a car. Uh, a friend of his mother died. He got across state with no car. Bummed a ride with friends. And just stayed there with the family. Didn't have a lot to say. Just but there with them. At one point, he said this. I wish I could say something so you wouldn't hurt. Or give you something. But he said, about all I can do is give you a song that I just wrote. And hopefully it will minister to you. And so he shared a song with them. It really touched their family. Fast forward two years. This new rising uh, musician, singer, Amy Grant. Heard the song, recorded it. The song was entitled, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. Immediately went to number one. Rich Mullins kept singing, kept writing. He loved music, loved to point people to Christ. He wrote the song, Awesome God. You remember that one? It was later voted Christian song of the 20th century. Rich had taken a vow of poverty. Gave away millions of dollars of royalty from his music. He was trying to reach out to the Native Americans with the gospel. He didn't know much of anything. He tragically died in a car accident at one of his concerts, after one of his concerts a couple of years ago. At that time, he was living on a Navajo reservation, all of his belongings in his Jeep. He was 41 years old when he died. But we still sing some of his worship songs today. I'm so glad that when he was 25, he didn't say, when I hit 40, then I'm going to start living for the Lord. Or when I hit 50, then I'm going to start living. When I retire, then I'm... He didn't live that way. He seized the opportunity. He didn't know he just had a few years to live. But he lived his life with passion. He embraced life. He wrote another song that wasn't as well known. Just a few years before he was killed in that accident... It's entitled, Live Right. And there's one line that reads like this. Live like you'll die tomorrow. Die knowing you'll live forever. Live like you'll die tomorrow. Die knowing you'll live forever. You know, when someone who's up in years dies, can I say... We understand that. The, 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 you know what I mean by that? We, we understand. I mean, they're old. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. And I'm not saying we don't miss them. I'm not saying we don't grieve. 
but we understand that. At least we understand that more than when somebody young dies. I mean, when a child dies, it's so hard to wrap around, wrap our brains around that kind of pain. And some of you have experienced that kind of pain. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and especially as I was reading through, preparing for some of this, about a young man named Blake. Some of you have my daughter's books. The first one's entitled Blake. She wrote that book for Blake. Blake's 25 years of age, good friend to Emily, good friend to our family, has been in our home. Emily and John have been on several mission trips to Scotland together. Last month, uh, Blake came to Emily's wedding uh, and traveled five, six hours to, to be there for them. But just a few weeks after that wedding, Blake died. Not of a car wreck, not of a disease, not drugs or alcohol or suicide, nothing like that. Pneumonia. How does a 25-year-old die of pneumonia? Seemingly well one day and then gone the next. I said in my introduction, this series is not going to be trying to scare you into some type of preemptive deathbed confession. I, I, I don't want to do that. But I do want to put my cards on the table. Can I say that in church? I do want to challenge you to think about your life. To think about what you're living for. To think about what your purpose is. To think about your passion. To make a lifetime commitment. I read this quote, There is something that is worse than dying and that is never really living. So the question is, is Jesus your passion? And if He is, what's your vehicle to share that passion with others? See, if He's not your passion, you can make Him that. But there's some words you've got to get past. Someday. When. One day. If. You've got to get past those. Today we're going to sing an invitation song. And I want to encourage you to make a decision. I want to encourage you to live life on purpose. I want to challenge you to make Jesus your passion. And that begins by confessing that you believe that He is the Son of God. And you continue that response of obedience to the Gospel by letting Him make you clean as you're baptized into His name. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and you have been redeemed and you have a new purpose. And you have a new passion. You have a reason for living. Or if we can just pray for you, if you're already walking with the Lord, we want to encourage you to live like no one else. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?